Hi, this is Mark, lead pastor of Lux Digital Church. I want to thank you for joining us today and also invite you to join with us live at twitch.tv slash Church every Wednesday night at 8.30 p.m. EST. Thank you for joining us and please enjoy this message. Well, welcome to Lux Digital Church. My name is Andy and I am also known as Chino Mage. It's an incredible incredible honor to be able to talk with all of you for just a little bit wherever you're joining us from if you are watching us live on twitch we love having you here as a guest for this evening you could be anywhere right now and you chose to spend some time with us and that is not lost on us thank you for that and for those of you that are watching and listening via vod youtube or podcast thank you as well for being part of our extended lux family i uh i actually want to invite you to our discord server we heard pastor mark talking about it a little bit ago in our live broadcast but you didn't hear that. Uh, and we would love to have you as part of our Discord family. Uh, it's We've got like an actual church over there 24-7 with tons of amazing people. I know Doc says it's kind of low energy compared to David. I can't run in like he is because if I do that, I'm going to hit like monitors and keyboards and stuff. Again, if you're listening on podcasts, you have no clue what's actually going on. Head over to uh, twitch.tv slash Lux Digital Church and you can check it out. Hey, uh, I know Discord can be intimidating, but we've honestly really streamlined the process to make sure that you're able to join in with us quickly and to understand what's going on almost immediately. He did set a high bar, Doc. Thank you so much. Bougie wants me to talk about small groups. Everybody go join a small group, please, because they are awesome. They are the life blood of our church. Right. So there are dads in the chat. If you are a dad in the chat right now, give me a Tim Allen. Just go to the little thing uh, at the bottom and give me a Tim Allen. Give me something to signify in the chat that you are a dad. Uh, Tim Allen is honestly one of the best dads around. Actually, I don't know that he's one of the best dads ever. I just know that the dad from, yeah, there's a squawk. Thank you. Uh, I just know that the dad from, uh, you know, Tim, the Toolman Taylor, he was awesome, but uh, for home improvement. So I have three children. I'm a dad of three children. They are my stepchildren, but I love them like they're my own, right? I, 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 I call them my kids and they call me their dad. So it's almost the same thing. Uh, and there's a lot of times I find myself doing and saying a lot of the same things that my own dad would say. It's, it's kind of weird. Dads are, dads are like superheroes when their kids are a little bit younger to a lot of people. Uh, my own dad is... He's still a bit of a superhero to me. I'm I'm older and he's still a superhero. He was my dad was a computer programmer, still is. Uh, he's a musician. He's a runner. He's a leader. And I remember watching him uh, put together a bike one year when I was like in the fourth grade or so. Uh, the bike came in a, a box. Usually they're like kind of pre-made now, but they came in a box. There was no no instructions. They had gotten lost or something like that. And so I walked out in the garage and he just had this array of just parts and sprockets and chains and stuff all over the place. And then within an hour, boom, there was a brand new bike just just there for me. And it, it was like it came out of thin air. I, I could then and I still can come to him with a lot of questions, uh, uh, questions about a lot of things. And most of the time he'll know the answer or he'll know how to do something or where to go. Uh, my dad loves me fiercely. Uh, and as I was growing up, he trained me to be a gentleman. Uh, he showed me how to act properly in life, in business, in my family. And it's actually funny, as I've gotten older, I've I've actually kind of turned into what my dad is, which is weird. Uh, I'm a computer programmer and kind of a, a nerd, a big nerd. I'm a musician, I'm a runner, I'm a leader, I'm all of these things. And I know my kids love me just like I love my dad. And, and they come to me with all sorts of questions or problems and I help them out just like my own dad did. Actually, I remember one spring, 
uh, when our oldest was about 12. He's 19 now, yeah, but he was about 12. We had bought him this bed. It was kind of secondhand. And there were no instructions to the bed. Uh, we had just kind of found it on Facebook Marketplace. And my wife said, hey, we're, we're buying a bed. I went down and we picked up the bed and then we brought it home. And there was no instructions, just a bunch of big metal parts. And I was able to lay them all out and you know, put all the screws in all the place and boom, put the thing together in about an hour, hour and a half. And I just kept thinking like, this is something my dad would do. I'm turning into my dad. And that's okay because he's a pretty awesome guy. See, we are, we're currently in this collection of talks called Our Father. See where the dad thing comes in? And we're looking at the Lord's Prayer, which is something that Jesus taught us to do. It, it's something that comes from what is commonly called the Sermon on the Mount, which is probably the most famous sermon that Jesus ever preached. And the Sermon on the Mount is probably taking place over a series of days, or it's even in different places. But the writer of the book of Matthew gathers it all together and really kicks off Jesus's ministry with this sermon. Now, the sermon itself is in two, three chapters, really, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and it's fairly long, and it's right there, kind of in the middle that we're camping over this whole collection of talks. Right there in the middle of it, Jesus' disciples ask him how to pray, and Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. He says, this then is how you should pray. And what follows is probably the most famous prayer that's ever prayed. It's recited more than any other prayer. Even people who don't know Jesus, who are, are, who are not Christians, they know at least parts of this prayer, if not the whole thing. It's the Lord's Prayer. Sometimes it's also called the Disciples' Prayer, since the true Lord's Prayer is found in John chapter 17, where Jesus is praying to his Father personally. And I'm not going to get all Bible nerdy on you, but, you know, Disciples' Prayer, Lord's Prayer, it's kind of interchangeable. But it, it's kind of been called the Lord's Prayer for so long that we're just kind of going with it. And in this prayer, we see Jesus being ultimate teacher. He's a lot of things. Jesus is healer, he is speaker, he's preacher, he's provider, he's joker, he is a ton of things. But we also see him in this kind of collection of things happening on the Sermon on the Mount, in the Mount, excuse me, we see him being the best teacher. And teachers, of course, they teach. And so the disciples, who are his followers, they come to him and they say, all right, Jesus, teach us to pray. All right, Rabbi, teach us to pray. Show us the way to pray. Show us how we should talk to God, since you know everything and since you're so smart. And it's interesting that you can see that Jesus isn't saying, hey, every time you pray, you need to memorize this thing and pray these exact words. He doesn't say that. Instead, he says, along these lines, pray or pray something like this. And it's important to note that throughout this whole series. This is a a model of prayer. This is a framework of prayer. It's not just, you know, pray these words and you're done and God heard you and everything's okay. That's not what this is. This is a model of prayer. And that's why we're basing this entire collection of talks that Pastor Mark and I are doing around this key statement, which is a phrase that really ties in what we believe that Jesus is saying. And that key statement is that prayer is an opportunity. It's not an obligation. Prayer is an opportunity to come to God. It's not an obligation that we have to fulfill, because if all we're doing is repeating words, then we're just human parrots. We're mindless in what we're saying. Prayer becomes an obligation at that point. And so Jesus gave them, and he's giving us this outline, this model of what to say when we start to pray with God, when we start to talk to God. And as you're going to see in the rest of this collection of talks, the 
outline that we're given does an a really great job at essentially getting to all of the major points that we should be talking to the Lord about. So tonight we're opening this entire thing and the entire model of prayer starts like this. Matthew chapter nine, or Matthew chapter six, excuse me, verse nine. Again, he says, our father in heaven. That's it. That's the whole message tonight. Our Father in heaven. And it might seem a little weird, but there's actually a ton to pick out of those four words right now. There's actually four, I'm going to call them ships to speak of here. Not like sailing ships or gunships or anything like that, but, but there's four ships. There's relationship, there's lordship, there is fellowship, and there's guardianship. And you might be thinking I'm crazy that those are found in just these four words, but those four things are right there. So let's unpack them just a little bit. So relationship, that's the first thing right now. That word father sits right in there, our father. In this way, we pray our father. Now that word father automatically implies a relationship, a close one, usually a family relationship, a familial heart relationship. So when we pray, we're not supposed to be talking to this sort of invisible force that's out in nature, just beyond the beyond. We're supposed to be talking to a close relation, like a dad or a father. And I know that there's a lot of us that struggle with that word father. When I was talking about my own dad a little bit ago, a couple minutes ago, I know there, there may have been a lot of you listening and watching right now that struggle with the idea of a father that is close to them because they didn't have one growing up as a child. Or maybe your earthly father was abusive or abrasive, and maybe he just simply didn't care. And so when you hear that you're supposed to call God father, you immediately recoil and you curl back from it. But see, that's that's nothing new. And, and, and I'm not saying that to troll you. I'm actually saying that to, to, to try to comfort you. It should be comforting to know that you're not alone in that feeling. Interestingly enough, we call God Father because Jesus taught us to do that. that that's, that's why we call God Father. But when Jesus, Jesus first said that, it was a bit revolutionary and actually it was very heretical. It was, it was heresy against the Jewish religion. See, in the other religions of the time, the, the pagan religions, you, you had this God who was otherworldly. God as a father was completely unknown. You had the ancient Greeks and the ancient Romans, and they believed that their gods and goddesses were aloof, and they were distant, and they were angry all the time, mostly hostile, and they were trying to fight. And you, you had to continually placate them to, to, to make sure they weren't angry. You had to continually offer things to them so they wouldn't bring famine or drought or plagues. And you never know where you stood with them. If you've ever played the, the, the game Hades, one of my all-time favorite games, you know what I'm talking about. Zeus is the kind a guy sitting at the judge's desk, and he is perpetually angry at all of the other gods there, especially with Prometheus. And in Greek mythology, uh, Prometheus actually shows up to help humanity. He offers the humans the gift of fire. He's trying to help them, trying to help, get, you know, help let, let them cook and see and do all these other things. And Zeus was so angry with Prometheus that because he was trying to be nice, he actually captures Prometheus, chains him to a rock in the Adriatic Sea, and commands vultures to come pick out his liver. That was the dude that the Greeks worshipped. Super nice, right? 
God there, Zeus, is their kind of their, their main god. God was not a father. He was something to be feared. But that's the Greeks and the Romans, even for the Jewish people of Jesus' time. And then on into today, Jewish people don't call God their father. They refer to him only as their master or as their ruler. In, in Hebrew, it's the El Shaddai, which means mighty one. Jesus or God is the mighty one, excuse me. He's called father a couple of times in the Old Testament, the, the first part of the Bible. But it's really only in the sense that he is a father to the nation of Israel, the one who started the nation. He's the progenitor. He's never referred to on this sort of individual level. Jewish people then, and actually even now, recognize God as awesome and powerful and wonderful, but they know him as distant. The name of God to Jewish people is so holy that even now, we have no idea how the, how the characters themselves are actually pronounced that were in the original Hebrew. We say Yahweh, which is like a rough approximation, but that's actually just a guess, which is crazy to think of. When Jewish people were, were writing down the word God originally, they would take out what we would know as the vowels in English because they felt that our human lips would defile the word that made up the name of God. And frequently, they would actually just call him in conversation. They would call him Hashem, which is Hebrew for the name. Hashem, the name. So essentially, they're just calling God the name. They're not calling him God. They're not calling him Father. They don't, they don't have titles for him. They just call him the name. And if you actually uh, are talking to an Orthodox Jew today, somebody who is walking, trying to walk that path as, as much as possible, if you write to them in an email or a text message or a chat, they will actually just write the name of God by putting a dash where the O is. So it's just G dash D. That's how they do it. And actually, as I was researching this message, uh, I, I found this incredibly interesting. In the Old Testament, there was not a single reference of a Jewish person directly addressing God in the first person as father. Not one, not one instance. The very first time that this happens is Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth. He is the first Jewish rabbi to call God father directly. And this is actually one of the reasons that the Jews, the Jewish leaders of the time want to kill him, because that's like blasphemy. Jesus didn't call God anything but Father, except on one other occasion, and that occasion was on the cross in Matthew 27, verse 46, six, excuse me, where he says words that I'm probably going to botch, but he says, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is the only time he doesn't call God my Father. And he's actually quoting from Psalm 22, which is something that King David had written a couple, you know, a thousand years, a couple thousand years prior to that. And Jesus at this point had really been separated from God because he was accepting all of the sin of the world and from us and all of humanity upon his shoulders. And that was sin that should have separated God and him forever. But it didn't because we know the end of the story. Three days later, rose from the tomb, and now we have a savior. And so we get this model of Jesus saying, our father in heaven, now, the New Testament was written in Koine Greek. I'm throwing a lot of head knowledge at you. Trust me, we're going to get to some stuff here. The New Testament was written in what's called Koine Greek, which is a conversational Greek that is not really spoken anymore. It's, it's, not, it's kind of a dead language. People don't speak it. They speak a different dialect of Greek. 
but that that's so that's how the New Testament was written. But Jesus didn't speak Greek. He he spoke Aramaic. And in Aramaic, the word for father that Jesus mostly used was Abba. Not the Swedish band, but the term Abba, A-B-B-A. And so he's saying, Abba, our father, our Abba. And the shock value that people would have felt is lost on us now. But essentially, Jesus is using the same word, Abba, that kids would have been running around calling their dads in the streets of Jerusalem. Little six-year-olds running around saying, Dad, they would have been saying Abba to them. That's the same weight that Jesus is giving this phrase. It's not so much the word Father, which can be, you know, that heavy or stern, condescending, have that connotation to it. But instead, it's dad. It's caregiver. It's the one who loves them. In Galatians 4, verse 6, Paul says, Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son, being Jesus, into our hearts. The spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. And so my question for you is this. What do you call God? What does your relationship with God look like right now? Is your relationship the sovereign, mighty, awesome, distant God who stands far off? Or is it with Dad? Is it with Abba? The kids that we have that I mentioned earlier, uh, they're not my biological kids. And to my face and around the house, they call me Andy. I'm Andy because their father is actually still alive, even though he's a little bit distant. And he doesn't really see him that often, and he, he didn't really, and kind of still doesn't invest in them a whole lot. He, he's trying, and you know, it's, 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 it's getting a little bit better there. But, but, but do you know what my kids call me when they talk to their friends? When they're out of the house and they talk to their friends, you know what they call me? Dad. They say things like, oh, my dad did that at home, or hey, let me ask my dad. Do you know how awesome that is? Do you know how awesome it is to know that those kids know that I love them like they're my own? That even though they aren't of my flesh and my blood, that I would still drop everything to be with them and help them and care for them? Father is how we refer to God as Christians. That's how we, that's the same thing that God is feeling, that pride when we call him Father. God is all-powerful and he's all-knowing. He's awesome in his majesty, but he's also our Father in heaven. And when we approach him and say, Abba, when we call him Dad, we are implying that there is a relationship there, a relationship of that of a child to a parent. Okay, so we've got relationship then. There's this one little phrase our Father in heaven, who that also speaks of lordship. That's kind of the second thing. Because yes, we do have a relationship with God, but, but if we focused only on that, it would turn into this sort of weird, sloppy, sort of sentimentalism. There, there's, there's a deep and, and, and like reverence and respect that we need to remember as well. Actually, the heart of the entire Lord's Prayer is focused on lordship, which you're going to see over the next couple of weeks. Our relationship with God that I just talked about, with Abba, ultimately leads down a road of falling under the lordship of God, because he is not only our father, but in the same breath, I am his child and he is the head. I am part of the body and he is the one that directs us. It's great. 
Jesus outlines this relationship even better in the book of John, chapter 14, where he says, whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. John 14, verse 21. The commands of God are, are pretty simple. Love God and love others as you would love yourself. It's pretty easy. Love God, love others as you would love yourself. That's, that's, that's kind of a nutshell of the commands of God. There's a whole lot of other stuff there, but we get that wrong quite a lot. Those two main things. And the thing that starts to scare people away from a relationship with God and thus with Jesus is that they start to hear the word command and they automatically shut off. People, people like it when you talk about God as this all-loving father, someone who doesn't get angry when you sin, who's ready to just obey at your beck and call and forgive you, someone like a genie in a bottle. But when you start to talk about God as Lord, people automatically think there's an angry taskmaster or a slave driver who's ready to kill you whenever you do anything wrong, and they want no part of that. They want no relationship with Jesus, and they will turn their back on that. But that's where they start to get it wrong, because having a Lord over our lives is actually quite freeing. It means that there's a higher power to guide us, to lead us, to be responsible to, and to ultimately know that they have us in his grasp. That's lordship, to know that God is leading. So we have relationship, and we have lordship. And that actually kind of goes nicely into our third ship, which is fellowship. And full disclosure, I dislike the word fellowship. I really do. It, 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 it has this weird sort of churchy connotation to it. But in this case, that's exactly what we're talking about. Not, not the weird part of it, but, but the church itself. Notice that this entire prayer starts off with saying, our father, not my father, but our Father, collectively. And throughout the Lord's Prayer, you will not see any personal pronouns. It's not, give me this day my daily bread. It's not, forgive me my sins. There is no I, there is no me, there's no mine or my. They don't occur. And that's because Jesus came to take those words out of our vocabulary, to excise them from our prayers, and to replace, replace them with words like we, and us, and our, because we are part of a family. You don't belong just to you once you start praying to God. Once you say yes to a life-changing, eternity-altering relationship with Jesus Christ, you do not belong to just yourself anymore. You belong to the us of the church, and that is awesome, because God is no longer just your father. He is now our Father. You see, in the, in the wider church world, when we teach about the Christian mindset, we're actually pretty guilty of personalizing everything. You always hear a lot that you need that personal relationship with Jesus in order to be saved, and that is absolutely true. You need to have private times with God. You need to raise up your private concerns. You need to be able to go to God with those things that are on your heart. But if you concentrate too much on the personal part of this, you quickly imbalance your faith. You throw it out of whack, and then you start to think that it's just me and God, man, and we're just taking on life together, and come hell or high water, we're going to do this thing, and you are no longer responsible to anyone else except God. But this is opposed to the direct words of Jesus and the rest of the New Testament, which talks a lot about the quote-unquote one another. This is a big thing here, that phrase one another, which is actually used 87 times in the New Testament. 
And it's in the New Testament where Jesus Christ establishes what we now know as the church, a group of people who believe in his name and his cause, which is the gospel. And they believe so much that they are to go to the ends of the earth to tell people that God reigns, that he loves them, and that their sins are forgiven, and that they can live forever with him. That is what a church is. That is what we do here at Lux. All of the other stuff that happens around it is designed to get to that message, what is called the Great Commission, to go forth and make disciples of all nations. We should be taking our collective personal relationships with God the Father and moving them together with one another to effectively communicate his gospel. That is fellowship. So our fellowship actually comes from our personal relationship with God as we fall under his lordship. Relationship bleeds into lordship, which then bleeds into fellowship. But there's one more thing that we're missing here, and that's this idea of guardianship. Now, anytime I think of that word guardianship, I think of uh, Commander Zavala and Destiny calling Bar guardian with that Lance Reddick voice. Man, rest in peace, dude. I'm going to miss that voice. Noticed how Jesus doesn't just say, pray our Father and end it right there. But he says, pray our Father in heaven heaven because god is in heaven <laughs> and god has all of heaven's resources we have this this spiritual father who is lord of all things and he resides in heaven and i know the chat is going right now and i'm going to catch up to it and and we're going to i'm going to get back to some of these things we can debate for hours and days on what heaven heaven actually is what it's like or what it's going to be like or if it's after we die or if it's right now or after Jesus returns. But there's actually a, a few takeaways here that we need to, 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 to really contextualize this whole thing. Heaven is talked about in the Bible as a place where all things old are made new. All things that are broken are erased. All pain and tears are gone. Everyone will be filled with joy and what's called perfect peace in the book of Isaiah. At the very end of the book of Isaiah, we're, called, we're going to be called uh, living in perfect peace. Heaven also probably, most likely, definitely, maybe, probably is not a place of pearly gates and angels playing harps and sitting on clouds and all of that stuff. That's, that's most likely not what heaven is, because heaven is going to look a lot like earth, because heaven actually descends upon us at the end of days. The book of Revelation talks all about this, especially at the very end of the Bible, Revelation 20 and 21. Heaven descends upon us. It's a place that is real. Heaven is real with real houses and real grass and vineyards and, and gardens and hobbies and things to do and people to love. It's all there. It's pure perfection. And that is where God resides in pure perfection. And that's where he rules and he reigns from pure perfection in pure love and pure holiness without sin. And that's why the first line of the Lord's prayer is so powerful, because it's equally balanced in perfection. So you get the first part, our father, which leads to this relationship because he is our father. We don't have to fear the future or sin or death or decay because he is our father. We don't have to be lonely because he is our father. We don't have to be living selfish, self-centered lives. Because he is our father in heaven, there is no limit to his power from heaven toward those who are on earth because he has all of the resources of, of, of heaven 
He can go to the ends of heaven to save even one person. And when you come by simple faith to Jesus and you look at him square in the face and you say, I've blown it, I have sinned, guess what? God forgives you. And you enter into a relationship where God is not just God anymore, and you're not just a human kind of sloth slug over here, but is now God as your father, and you are now his son or his daughter. And then you grow in that relationship, and you realize that God is no longer only your father, your loving father who received you, but he's also your Lord, that you now want to please him, that you want to do what he wants, that you want to follow his leading, that you want to follow his lordship. And then you realize that there's this big family of God that you are now also accountable and responsible to. And that is an awesome thing because you can now be embraced by all of those people and you can embrace them in your prayers and your love and your life. And then finally, because he is our father in heaven, none of this shall be impossible to be to, for him. None of this shall be impossible for him because he has all of the resources of heaven on his side. So whenever we start our prayers, like Jesus instructs us to, we get to acknowledge all of that in just four short words. We acknowledge relationship, we acknowledge lordship, we acknowledge fellowship, and we acknowledge guardianship. And here's why this matters. This matters because the words, our Father in heaven, mean that God is present, he is real, he is powerful, and he is personal. Think about that. God is present with you right now in whatever room you are in, in whatever coffee shop you're watching, in whatever podcast app you are listening to, that God is present and he's real. He is really there. He is really all around you. He is more powerful than you can ever imagine. He will move heaven and earth to be in a relationship with you, to show you that he loves you because he is personal. Tonight, wherever you are, you can know that you have a father that is present with you in all of your problems and your issues and your hangups and your hurts. He is more powerful than anything. He is powerful enough to conquer all of those things. He loves you so much that he would even die for you. And he is real. He's not just some magical fairy tale. He is real with real miracles and real verifiable proof on this earth. And that is something worth praying about. Now, in just a few minutes, I'm going to be coming back for kind of the post-service wrap-up. And if you have questions about any of this, feel free to ask. I'm going to kind of go scrolling back through the chat to see what I missed here. I'd love to talk with you. Uh, we're going to be at Discord after that. We're going to be hanging out in various prayer rooms and welcome and discussion rooms. Stop by. We would love to chat about the idea of a good, loving, perfect Father with you tonight. For now, though, let's pray together. God, we come to you. We pray these words, our Father in heaven, knowing that you are real and you are powerful and you are personal. God, you, you, you give us perfect peace when we look towards you. And God, for those out there that are just kind of kicking the tires on who Jesus is, that are just kind of stopping by a, a just chatting stream, that are really kind of not believing, just kind of questioning, God, I'm asking that you start to pull back the curtain of their heart just a little bit. And that you show them that you are real and personal and powerful. 
And God, let let these four words, our Father in heaven, impact them as they have impacted me in my own prayer life, and as they have impacted countless others all throughout the ages, and as they will continue to impact people. We love you. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message at Lux Digital Church. If Lux has been having an impact on your life, I want to encourage you to visit us at luxdigitalchurch.com and get connected to our community there. We're so thankful for you and we appreciate you. Have a blessed day and a blessed week.